Well, welcome everyone. This is Dr. Hedberg and welcome to the Dr. Hedberg show. And today I have a very exciting guest on Stacy Robbins is joining us and Stacy is a certified health coach and certified yoga instructor. She's an award-winning author, speaker, and integrated wellness coach. Stacy's book is called You're Not Crazy and You're Not Alone, Losing the Victim, Finding Your Sense of Humor, and Learning to Love Yourself Through Hashimoto's. That book is available on Amazon.com. I highly recommend it. And Dr. Isabella Wentz actually wrote the foreword to that book. And this particular book is Stacy's funny, honest, and soulful journey to not only heal from the physical part of Hashimoto's, but to address the inner work and healing that is available to every woman with Hashimoto's. Giving back to the community is a core value as Stacy serves on the board of directors for Hashimoto's Awareness, an organization that educates and empowers the Hashimoto's community in the areas of testing, self-care, and healing. Stacy inspires women to live their happiest, healthiest life with Hashimoto's and to use it as a teacher and guide to discovery as they learn to love themselves. As she says, Hashimoto's isn't the end of your health, it's the beginning of your healing. Stacy, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me and sharing me with your audience. I'm so excited for the work you do and thank you for including me in that. Excellent. Yeah, it's great to have you on. I'm sure everyone is really looking forward to this. So why don't we start with you just telling everyone how you got connected to Hashimoto's. Sure. Well, and excuse my morning voice out here in California. We haven't talked a whole lot yet today. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, the way I got connected to Hashimoto's was through a series of symptoms in 1995 that I didn't realize were kind of a composite picture of what Hashimoto's was. I thought that I was just really tired from being a professional musician who gigged a lot and recorded in the studio with different artists and, and performed on stages. And, you know, like I, I thought maybe my life is just tiring. And, um, and I thought things like the anxiety I was dealing with were because my marriage, my young marriage, um, which we had been together about five or six years at that point, I thought that was maybe just kind of causing a lot of anxiety and stress. And I thought the depression that I was dealing with had to do with my dad who was in the process of passing away. You know, I thought the pains in my body were from, um, from being hit in a car accident and then being hit in another one. So I had all these symptoms that were related to circumstances that really would have made sense, right? That, okay, well, she's in pain because she was hurt or she's depressed because there's a sad circumstance. But the truth is that <clears throat> those symptoms were going on so much longer then really made sense and they were escalating into other things and 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 um where I was having chronic sinus infections and I was having my skin change and my hair fall out and all of these changes that now we know as typical reactions to hypothyroidism and possibly Hashimoto's but then the doctors were just kind of like pointing and shooting at different symptoms and saying let me give you a pill for that <clears throat> mm -hmm. okay you need to 
you know, get rid of your sinus infections. I'll put you on antibiotics. Okay, well, they're not going away. Well, we'll put you on antibiotics for seven months straight. You know, um, okay, well, you're having pain in your body. We'll put you on Lodine and Percocet and Percodan and Darvon and, you know, those kinds of things that were just really, you know, not helping the systemic pain. Um, the anxiety I was put on different meds, the high cholesterol, all of these things until I had no diagnosis except that it was all in my head and I had gained a hundred pounds. And in the course of a year's time, I became so toxic because of the hypothyroidism that was undiagnosed <clears throat> that I actually ended up being told that I was dying, that the doctors could not figure out what was progressing in me. They thought maybe I had cancer in my brain. They, all they saw was that my body was getting into such a toxic state to the point where I was hallucinating. <clears throat> and they said, you know, this, it's time to get your affairs in order. And I was 27 years old. The one glimmer of hope I was given by somebody was if you do live, you won't ever have children, like never, ever. <clears throat> so I just, you know, I had a lot of introspection to do at that point and to go, am I at peace? Am I ready to exit life the way that I, you know, had dreamed I was going to be here a long time and be with my husband and, and live a vibrant, professional and purposeful life? And, um, and so I ended up going and researching all of these possible healing remedies um, for myself. Like, how do I come to a place of peace? How do I get my body back to homeostasis where it's inclined toward health? How do I do all those things? And in the process of my research and my introspection, a doctor eventually came up with the diagnosis of hypothyroidism. And within another year and a half after that, or two years, I was diagnosed with this very strange thing called Hashimoto's along with PCOS. So <clears throat> once I had a name to Hashimoto's, I was able to sort of look at all the different ways that I could handle it. But, you know, this was 20 something years ago before the internet. And it was also, you know, there were very few resources, maybe Broda Barnes's book, The Unsuspected Illness was the only one that was out. So the way I got introduced to Hashimoto's was really through a lot of symptoms, a lot of misdiagnosis and a lot of um, trying to find my way in the middle of, you know, a dark maze. That's how, that's how I ended up there. Mm. Yeah. It's quite a story. And like a lot of, uh, people with thyroid issues, Hashimoto's, hypothyroidism. There are many stories out there like that. And, uh, you know, sometimes it takes many, many years to find someone or, or figure out, you know, what the real answer is. And so you wrote uh, this book, an excellent book. And what would you say the, the top three messages you want women to know or takeaways after they read your book? Well, I think it's really, there's so many things because it's really so rich in the experiences and stories of what I went through and how it impacted my marriage and my family relationships and trying to explain your food choices on the holidays without pissing people off and, and the whole thing of, you know, how your energy is different and how your work schedule and your work ambitions need to change and how your exercise is different. Like the, it covers the... The, the wide range and the gamut of impact on our life once Hashimoto's has reached sort of a really advanced place. But the top three things that I would say <clears throat> are probably written right in the, in the title, in the, the longest subtitle in the world, 
um, losing the victim, finding your sense of humor and learning to love yourself through Hashimoto's. I think that in my introspection time, Nicholas, I was, I, I really had to confront how there was this pervasive theme of being a victim in my life. Like this thing happened and, but I'm doing well under the circumstances, quote unquote, you know, where I would, I was living literally under the circumstances. Oh, you know, she sang really well, you know, despite the fact that the mic went out and da, 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 she did really well under the circumstances. Oh, you know, she's doing a great job in her marriage, despite her husband, you know, going sideways on some crazy tangents and blah, blah, blah. She's doing really well under the circumstances. And I realized that I lived in that kind of that theme um, running in the background and when Hashimoto's forced me to sit on my couch at 270 pounds instead of this 135 pound, you know, cute, sexy person who was on stage all the time, I, I really had a lot of soul searching to do and realized that I, I really had operated from as somebody who was under the circumstances. And when I started to notice that, I was able to shift that, but I really couldn't see it until I slowed down. I think I always just really overperformed and really over um, was a perfectionist. And I did all of these things that were um, masking the fact that I had this undertow that was always bringing me under a mindset that was always kind of undermining me. So that was really valuable. And that's probably one of the key things. The second is um, finding your sense of humor. I came from a background that had a really serious spirituality and there was kind of a doomed message within the um, religious and spiritual construct I had come from. So, and one of the things that came from that was this idea that if you are sick, that means that you have less faith. If you are sick and going through a hard time, that means you did something wrong, maybe something sinful in your life or you made God mad or, or whatever. And so once that theology and philosophy collided with my circumstance of being sick, I really got super down. Like I got into this nitty gritty and I'm trying to sort this thing out and I'm trying to do surgery on like what part did I do spiritually wrong in order to make this thing happen? And it wasn't until, again, I had to sit down on the couch and really examine what um, my mindset was. I noticed that I had a very humorless, overly serious sort of take on life and that it, it, it added all this heaviness to my thinking and my belief system. And there was so much judgment inside of me. And and so as I kind of sorted that out and I came to a freer spirituality and freed up to not connect all of those, uh, you know, like my illness to something bad I had done to God, once I got um, freed from that, I found that I was lighter in my heart. I found that I was lighter in my soul and even my eyes were brighter and I was able to laugh at things more. Now, I'm not saying that Hashimoto's is fun or funny. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying that life still has humor and there is beauty. And when you're filtering all of your life through your sickness, through your illness or your diagnosis, nothing shows up in technicolor. Nothing shows up as light or beautiful. So I had to shift my filter. I had to shift my filter that instead of looking at everything through either bad spirituality or through Hashimoto's, I had to look at my, my life through 
hey, all is well. Life is good. Goodness is moving toward me. And I kind of shifted my mantra and my philosophy. And it so helped me to thrive and to find my sense of humor, which there is a lot of in my book. There is a lot of funny stuff, a few colorful words, but really just, you know, life was very, had some funny moments at 270 pounds, you know, mm -hmm. and, um, and I don't know that I could have laughed at myself at that weight before. And I don't mean make fun of myself. That's different. But I mean, just kind of laugh at what it is to go buy queen size pantyhose and then have the, the label, the label stuck to your butt when you go out to perform and not realizing that you're basically a walking billboard for those queen size pantyhose because you didn't realize the label was stuck to the back of your skirt. I like stuff like that. And I'm just like, oh, my Lord, I, I've had some funny things happen. Um, so I, I laugh a lot and my kids and I laugh a lot. And then the last one is um, learning to love yourself through Hashimoto's. I think I realized that I was living a pretty demanding life, a self-demanding life, a very self-judging life. And for me, I needed to come to that place of seeing that I can't wait anymore to be good enough or perfect or right enough to celebrate my life and to love myself. Because I, I used to do that. I used to go, okay, well, when I lose five pounds, then I will reward myself with being a happy person. Or when I make a certain amount of money, then I will be light enough and free enough to go do these things that I love or I'll smile more or whatever. And I, I kind of shifted everything and I said, how about I just love me now? How about I love life now? How about I use this thing called Hashimoto's and I don't wait for it to be gone before I love me? How about I learn to love myself through this? And so I found that to be a very self-empowering thing. And um, I, that, those are probably the three top messages that I would say are present in that book and that I'd really want women to get. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's the refreshing thing about your book and, and the things we're talking about today is that, you know, pretty much everything else out there is just focused on the biochemistry and diet and medication and supplements and all those kinds of things. So, this is a very unique and important message, you know, that you're putting out there. So how would you say this affects relationships with your spouse or your partner when someone has an autoimmune condition? You know, I think it really, I think there's that initial shock, like this isn't really happening and you try to live life in the old normal way, even though things are not the same. I think you, you still try to function and go to the parties that you went to or keep the social engagements or eat the same foods that you used to or try to plan the same vacations or go to even go to the grocery store in the same way that you used to. But the truth is that it's a new normal. And after you're done dealing with the shock that you've lost the normalcy you were going you had and that you were hoping to continue having for the duration of your marriage, I think once you get through that, I, I really do think you go through those five stages of grief. I think that you experience anger and frustration and, and, and the grieving process. And all of that, I think, ends up impacting the relationship because really the truth is that neither one of you were planning on this when you were standing on the altar giving your vows of till death do us part and in sickness and in health and that kind of stuff. Um, so it's an adjustment for the person who got sick. But it's an adjustment for the spouse who, you know, wasn't planning on on their partner being sick. So um, I think that when you get you have to recognize and be kind to yourself and gracious to yourself, understanding that both of you are adjusting 
that, um, you know, it's important to be patient. And, and I think that some of the things that it impacted, I mean, for us, it impacted like how we spent our free time, you know, free time didn't mean sitting in front of the television, uh, holding each other and, or watching a movie. Free time was spent researching. Free time was spent, you know, at Borders bookstore, um, you know, going through books. Cause like I said, the internet wasn't this hot thing that it is now the World Wide web. So we had to go drive someplace, sit and literally read whatever books and information we could find. Vacation monies weren't spent on going to Palm Springs to the Merv Griffin resort and having extra massages. Instead, our vacation money was spent going to healing centers, literally driving and flying all over the country to the tune of like spending almost $300,000 over the course of 20 years, you know, learning and researching and being resourced to figure out what was going on. You know, we, we really just spent all of our extra money, our house savings and everything, just trying to figure out how to get me well. Um, so that's an adjustment. Um, and, and I think that, um, when the, let's say the, it's a woman who's dealing with Hashimoto's, you know, I really had to, come to terms with that my life and my body had changed. And, um, you know, my husband had to go through that adjustment as well. It affected the way, you know, I felt about myself in the bedroom. And, you know, when your libido crashes, you know, your rhythms of connection change. And that turns into conversations and it turns into maybe things being a little bit serious and unfun for a while and trying to restore that fun back into the bedroom and that connection physically when, your body is literally a hundred pounds more and you're going, I don't even like me. How can I let you like me? So, um, so yeah, it affects, it really affects everything. And I, I think probably one of the biggest things that affects is, is your need to communicate what you want and what you need and really allow your spouse to communicate what he wants and needs as well. And, and to let go of them needing to be your savior, let go of them needing to be your hero, let go of them needing to be your doctor, and realize that you're both imperfect partners, not just in life, but in this healing thing that has been thrust upon both of you. Mm. Do you have any additional tips for uh, both people in a relationship when they're dealing with that? Yeah, yeah, you know, I do, and I... I, I have to say this too, because my husband's book just came out December 1st. Um, it's called the guy's guide to Hashimoto's and it's a really great resource from the spouse's perspective. So, and it's spoken into, in terms that a guy can really get, um, mm -hmm. without like being overwhelmed, like you said, by all the biochemistry and all the physiology parts, you know, it has elements of that, but like in cliff notes mm -hmm. kind of ways. Um, yeah. but like, I think some of the big tips are communicate clearly, um, let go of your expectations of things being either the way they used to be or the way that you wish they were and accept more of the, this is the way things are right now. And we're going to groove with this and make this the best that it can be. Um, I think that another tip would be to really shift the promises you make to other people. 
meaning outside of your marriage, whether it's, yeah, we'll be at that party and we'll bring the turkey <laughs> or yes, we'll be at that holiday mm -hmm. and we'll bring, you know, all the, the wine or whatever, you know, instead of making all these promises, when the truth is that you may get to party day and go, I'm not feeling well enough to bake all of that, or I'm not feeling well enough and to really just sh to shift life and to lower the promises or remove the extraneous promises that you're making to others. Um, we chose to do some dramatic things, quite honestly. We took television out of our home about 20-something years ago. Mm -hmm. We chose to spend more time outside at the beach. We chose to hold hands more rather than going to the movies. We chose how to learn how to plant a garden. And you have to know, these were all boring things to my husband. Like, Martha Stewart <laughs> was not his hero. You know, this is not the way he wanted to live his life, um, playing Scrabble and and Yahtzee with me instead of watching his favorite, you know, shoot 'em up show on, on a movie or something. And so uh, in the adjustment period, even though there was some resistance on both of our parts for the changes that we eventually made, we both benefited from them. He could tell you 20 years later, someone just offered us a huge big screen TV, a wall mounted TV uh, screen TV. And he just said no. He goes, it really doesn't fit with what we value and the way we're living our life right now. But thank you so much. And um, and this is the same guy who 20 years ago was like fighting tooth and nail to not make that change. So I just think that um, really communicating clearly what you want and need, not blaming each other and, uh, you know, not blaming each other, not blaming yourself, just really just breathing a lot and and um and shifting your expectations and the promises you make i think is really going to help you to get through this find other communities as well you know those would be that would be my tip you know like i have a girlfriend's guide to hashimoto's facebook group with more than 5000 women and we talk about the emotional components we don't talk about the medical components and these women come to me saying I'm struggling in my marriage. My spouse doesn't understand. My in-laws were being jerks to me on the holidays. Or, you know, I feel guilty as a mom because I can't do what I want to do for my kids. Can, you, can we talk about this? And we talk about all those things. And I think that feeling like you're not the only person is a huge part of the healing. Mm. And then, you know, for the, for the men, I think that... Um, I know that that helps the, the women. And then, you know, my husband created a married to Hashimoto's group as well, um, Facebook page. And so the guys come on and they ask questions and rock just answers honestly, and they answer each other. And it, it just makes you feel less alone and gives you more hope and energy to keep moving forward. Mm -hmm. So you were told, um, uh, in the past when you were going through all your health problems that you would not be able to have children. And now that's obviously not true anymore. So how would you say this has affected you being a parent? Mm. Yeah, it's a different, first of all, I'm so grateful to be a parent, you know, because I was told for so long that I never would. And my body went and mind and spirit went through a healing process. And, and I was able to conceive and have two kids. And I'm super grateful for that. Caleb is 14 and 5'10 and size 14 feet. And holy crow. I mean, this kid is like a monster giant <laughs> kid, you know, at 14 years old and pimples to spare, you know. And then Seth is 12 years old, long curly hair, surfer dude looking guy. And and they both have the sweetest hearts and they both have such kindness in them. And, and they give me such feedback, you know, about life. And, 
Um, and even about Hashimoto's. So like advice about dealing with this from a parent standpoint, I, I think the hardest thing, Nicholas, is just really knowing you're not going to have the same kind of energy for your kids that you really dreamed you wanted to have. That dealing, me dealing with the fact that my brain wasn't always working in a sharp way or that I had to say, no, mama can't do that because mama can't lift you up. My body's hurting right now. Or, you know, um, no, mama can't run and play with you right now because she's tired. You know, like those kinds of things crush my soul. I mean, mm -hmm. you have to know. Or, or the times when I had to say, no, I'm sorry, we can't get that extra thing that would be fun to have. Um, because I have to do these medical tests that are not covered. You know, the, I, I would say it in kid-friendly ways, you know, like that's not in our budget right now. But the truth is that those things are hard as a mom who wants to be everything and give everything to your kids. That is good, right? Mm. So I think that probably one of the hardest things as a mom is to just recognize that your um, the dream that you had for what you thought you your parenting was going to look like um, is is going to have to shift. And that doesn't mean it's shifting to something bad or less than. It means that it's shifting to something different. And I remember coming to a different piece about this um, after I listened to a mom and daughter talk. It was unrelated to health. Um, it was a doctor, yes, talking, and her daughter works for her business. But she, the daughter was talking about how she realizes that the issues that her mom had um, were really things that ended up benefiting her and her growth. And when I heard that radio, radio interview probably about eight, nine years ago about how this daughter's perspective as a grown-up was the things that irritated me about my mom or the things that were different in my life because my mom was a famous doctor – those things ended up really growing me and serving me. And when I heard that interview, I kind of just sighed and I realized that my boys are going to benefit from my strengths and my weaknesses. And I remember sitting at the kitchen table with them a few years ago and, and they said something about something I was doing in the kitchen. I can't remember what it was. And they were like, yeah, well, you know, you couldn't do it that way before. I can't remember. They made some comment and it didn't bother me, but it was, I just looked at them and I said, you know what, you guys, you want to be ninjas, right? And they both nodded mm -hmm. because they were like seven and nine. <laughs> Who doesn't want to be a ninja when you're seven and nine, right? Mm -hmm. And I just said, you guys can be ninjas. I said, but you know how you see the ninjas do their fancy moves and they jump and stuff? And I said, let's say there's a big branch over there and there's some rocks over here. I said, but that branch is hard to get to. I said, are they going to just give up? And they said, no. And I said, I said, what are they going to do? And they said, they're going to use the rocks to get to the branch. And I said, yeah, I said, it's not going to be comfortable. It's not what they wanted. They really just want to be able to jump straight to the branch. I said, but they're going to have to use what's there in order to get to where they want to be. And I said, you guys can be ninjas in life by using the strengths of mom and dad and the weaknesses of mom and dad. You can use them all to get to where you want to be. It's just going to be your choice. They know that I had a tough childhood and they, I shared certain things in a kid-friendly way to them, but I said, I love my parents. I said, they made big mistakes and they had big love. And I said, I used their big mistakes to add to my compassion and my kindness and my resolve and my focus in my life. I said, but that's because I chose to. You guys will have mm -hmm. to do the same thing to be ninjas. And that's kind of how I 
try to see life and is that even though I'm going through Hashimoto's and I wish I weren't so impacted and I wish they weren't so impacted, the truth is that they will, I will teach them also how to use it. Exactly. That's a, uh, that's some more great information for all the parents out there. So why don't, uh, why don't you tell us how your life and your lifestyles change by having Hashimoto's? Hmm. Well, it's different because I, I, I live overall more thoughtfully, less reactively than I used to. And that's something that I learned um, over the course of the last 20 years. I just I couldn't do the same things with the same kind of impetuous reactions or whim, whimsy than I wanted to before um, because I became more long sighted than short sighted. So. That's part of what's different in how I see life now is that I look at the longer impact. So if I want to eat, if I wanted to sit down and eat gluten, I would look at the longer impact of that. And that doesn't make me feel good. It makes my skin literally ooze and bleed and I'm exhausted. And, um, you know, so I go, okay, it's not worth it to sit down and have a brownie. Uh, I think I'll figure out how to make a paleo version of that so that I can have what I want and do it in a way that's honoring me. Because I think that when you're younger, you really can, and this is not everybody, some people are wiser than I was in their youth. Um, but I think that I kind of had that sense of immortality and like, okay, I could just push through and my, my adrenals will just cover it and you know, I'll, I'll bounce back. And I think when you realize you have an autoimmune condition for however long you end up having it, um, you, you really have to shift life and think a little bit more long-term. How is this going to impact me? Am I still going to be able to live out the dreams that I want? Am I going to still be able to keep the promises that I've made to myself and my family if I indulge in this overactivity or harsh exercise or overworking my, my life? So I've pulled back my work. You know, I coach my client, my Hashimoto's clients and um, my clients in general on just certain days for certain hours. I am, I'm a Renaissance woman and I had a professional music career and I, so I coach some vocal students, but I only do that on one day a week. I, you know, I do my writing at a certain time in the day when my brain is strong. Um, you know, I, I just have, I'm more thoughtful about my life and less reactive. Hmm. So, and I try to spend more time outside. I try to add more peaceful practices. You know, I love, I believe in grounding. I believe in putting my feet in the earth. Um, I do funny things. Like we did a, we did an indoor camping experiment about five, six years ago, six years ago, where I knew I was affected by EMFs. Um, no one told me that I was or anything. I just kind of like realized that my whole system kind of freaked out if I walked into like a Best Buy and like all the neon signs and the technology. It was like my brain started sizzling. I was like, you know, right. short circuiting. And or if I was in Target and the, the fluorescent lighting would like be zipping my brain out. And I was like, you know what? I think I'm re reacting to this kind of stuff. So we ended up turning all but two breakers off in our home. And we ended up just living with the like refrigerator, dishwasher, washer and dryer and our computer room, our, my husband's office, the lighting on in there. And every, every place else in the house was without the buzz of electricity. And we just lived by the sunrise to sunset. And we did that for a month. And uh, I said, at the end of the month, guys, I'll take you up to the Redwood Forest 
and we'll go walking around and see the redwoods and and commune with nature in a more and see how it's different for us and and the boys were like eight and ten at the time or something like that um no they were like six and eight at the time and I said, at the end of the month, when, we up, when we're up in the forest, we'll make a decision if we want to continue this. And the boys said they wanted to keep going. And we did that for, for more than four years, you know. Um, so how does this change my lifestyle? I think I'm more creative and a little bit kooky. And, and um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, think, I think it's changed a lot of things, you know, how we eat, how we live, how we sleep and play. And some of our experimentation is kind of is kind of uh, off the wall, but it's cool and it's very much us. <laughs> well, this has been great, Stacy. Um, you've given uh, all the listeners and myself quite a bit to uh, to think about. I've definitely learned a lot. Why don't you tell us again uh, about your book? Uh, where people can get it, and also how people can connect with you online. Where would you like them to go, like social media and things like that? Sure. Thank you so much. I You can find me at www.stacyrobbins.com, S-T-A-C-E-Y-R-O-B-B-I-N-S.com. And um, you can find my blog there and, and the links to, and explanations of my book books there. And um, you can also find me at the Girlfriend's Guide to Hashimoto's group on social, on Facebook, which is a really great group. It's a closed group, and it's not a medical group. We deal with the, the emotions and the mindsets that empower us to live well with Hashimoto's. Um, and they can find me there. My book, You're Not Crazy and You're Not Alone, as well as my book, um, Bloom Beautiful, it, they are both on Amazon. And um, I have an iPhone app for Bloom Beautiful. It's 365 days of inspiration for your soul. Um, that's on the iPhone app. And then I have to just give a nod to my husband who created a great resource at MarriedToHashimoto's.com. And his book, The Guy's Guide to Hashimoto's, is a great resource that we now have available for us. So those are all the fun places you can reach me. And I'd love to connect with the, the folks in your audience who I could serve. Yes, I urge everyone to get Stacy's book and connect with her online. You're going to learn a lot, and you're going to learn a lot of things that you haven't learned from me, obviously, which is mostly the the biochemical and the, the, the physical aspects of Hashimoto's and autoimmunity. So this should give you a lot of new information, a lot of new things to think about that, that you haven't heard before. So thank you again, Stacy, for coming on. And um, if, if anyone out there would like to support this podcast, uh, the best way is to just subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, TuneIn, or wherever you listen to it. And please leave reviews. Uh, those are also very helpful. And share these episodes with your friends on social media or by email. So thank you, everyone, for tuning in. This is the Dr. Hedberg Show, and I will talk to you next time. Take care.